We're in a book of Acts, and we're in chapter 16. We're doing chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We do this every year right after Easter, and we have fun with this. Uh, last week, if you weren't here, we talked about Timothy, how we all need to have a spiritual heir. And the title of the, of the message was, You're Not a Success Till You Produce a Successor, and Paul found his successor in Timothy. And those were the first five verses of Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. We're going to pick up right where we left off in Acts uh, chapter 16, verse 6. So if you would, out of respect and love and esteem for the Holy Scripture, stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word, Acts 16, 6. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the regions of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the Word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithany, but the Spirit did not permit them. So, passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the advancement of the gospel being preached towards Macedonia, towards the West, towards Europe and ultimately North America, that we are preaching the gospel and hearing the gospel and living out the gospel in America today because of this moment, Paul's second missionary journey. Thank you for the powerful lessons we can learn for our own lives, for our church, and for our future based on this text this morning. Thank you, Father. There are times when you say no. Help us to understand what that means in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We are talking about what to do when God says no. Anytime you go to the Lord with a request, it could be no, it could be yes, it could be hold on, or it could be silence. And God can do whatever He wants because He's God, and He knows what's best. He knows what's best for your life and for my life, and ultimately He knows what's best for the advancement of the cause of Jesus Christ in the earth the advancement of the kingdom of God. This is Paul's second missionary journey. In his first missionary journey to this region, he was stoned, dragged out of the city, and left for dead, and God supernaturally raised him to life. This is his second trip to this particular uh, region. And what's interesting is Paul and his ministry team, which included Dr. Luke, uh, Luke, uh, the physician, traveled with Paul. He's actually the one that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, used to write the book of Acts and record the Acts of the Apostles. We know Silas uh, was with Paul because Silas was now his new ministry partner. Uh, he and Barnabas had a parting of ways, as we talked about last year when we were studying uh, in the book of Acts. And now it's Silas, it's Dr. Luke, and it's young Timothy. Timothy now has been picked up, selected by Paul as a part of Paul's ministry team. There are perhaps others that were also traveling with the Apostle Paul. And they wanted to go into Asia to preach the gospel, and the Holy Spirit forbid them. That's what we just read. The Holy Spirit forbid them to go into to that province of, of Asia. Now, every parent in here, you know, when you tell your kids no, that's, that's one level of no. But when you tell them, I forbid you, that's a, that's a whole other level, right? I mean, when parents go to the forbidding level, it's like, okay, there is no room for negotiation on this one. It's like, I forbid you. And that just sounds strong, doesn't it? This is forbidden. And the Holy Spirit forbid them. That's the strong word that was used here. It's an interesting word. The Greek word 
koluo. Koluo actually means, get this, to hinder, to stop, to prevent, to obstruct, to block, to impede, to encumber, to restrain, to withhold, to hamper. Who did all of this? The Holy Spirit forbid, forbid the Apostle Paul and his ministry team to preach the gospel in Asia. You know, sometimes God has to stop us for our own good, but also for the greater good of His divine plan and His divine purposes. This is one of those moments when the Holy Spirit actually blocked the way. Sometimes you'll find in life, if you're sold out to do the will of God and you want His will above all else, sometimes it's as though God is getting in your way and God is obstructing you. And you and I can be thankful for that because sometimes God stops us for our own good. This is one of those moments when the Holy Spirit had something better for Paul and his ministry team. Not at this time. It's all about timing sometimes. They couldn't go into Asia. Now, when you first read that, you're like, wow, doesn't God love people of the Orient East, right, of the East, Asia? Well, this is not the continent of Asia. This was a Roman province of Asia, not the continent. And the, the cities, this, this area was named, which it lay west of the cities already evangelized, the province of Asia, laid west of the cities already evangelized, like Galatia. There was a church in Galatia where the great city of Ephesus uh, and other cities mentioned in the book of Revelation are in this area. And so the gospel was going to get there. The seed of the gospel around there was already planted. But at this particular time, the Holy Spirit forbid that. Forbidden, for, there was, they were forbidden of the Holy Spirit to go into this region and to preach the gospel. Now, we know the gospel is for everyone. Go in all the world and preach the gospel. And we know that God loves everybody. So why at this time were they forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go preach in Asia? Well, first of all, God is the Lord of the harvest, right? How many would agree that God is the Lord of the harvest? Remember in John's Gospel, chapter 4, Jesus looked at his disciples one day and he said, we must go through Samaria. We have to. No, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We have to go through Samaria. And the disciples are thinking, why would we go through Samaria? As Jews, we have no dealings with the Samaritans. It was about timing. The Lord Jesus knew there was going to be a woman at a well at a certain time, and Jesus, she was going to cross, Christ was going to cross intersections with this woman. She was going to get saved, uh, and her entire village was going to get saved, and revival was going to break out in the region of Samaria. And in that same chapter, in that same chapter, Jesus told his disciples, he said, look at the harvest field. They're white, and they're ready to harvest. And he said this, pray to the Lord of the harvest, pray to who? The Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth more laborers into his harvest field. So when it comes to the harvest, God is the Lord of the harvest. It's his harvest field, and he knows where to send and when to send his workers in his harvest field. It's not our harvest field. It's his harvest field, and he knows what's best for the advancement of the gospel. Now, how many farmers do we have in here? How many of you had parents that were farmers, grandparents that are farmers? How many of you know anything about farming? Thank you. Raise your hand. All right. Great. So this illustration will, will apply. Every farmer in here knows there is an appointed time to harvest. You can't harvest prematurely. You don't want to harvest after that appointed time. There is an appointed season, an appointed time when you have to reap the harvest. Well, the Lord knew 
that those in Macedonia were ripe, ready for harvest, and those in Asia were not. So think of it. God established a spiritual embargo around Asia, <laughs> a blockade, and the Lord said, no, you are forbidden. You cannot go to Asia. Now, here's the question for you and me. How did the Holy Spirit forbid them? Was it an angel of the Lord that appeared? No, because there's no indication that that happened. So how did it happen? Well, it could have been a subjective impression. Sometimes you and I get a sub, what's called a subjective impression. We get this strong impression in our heart that, no, I just don't feel right about it, or no, I, 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 I don't sense that the Lord is leading in, in that way. Sometimes these subjective impressions are very strong in our heart. There's a biblical example of this. In the previous chapter, Romans, uh, Acts chapter 15, we studied this last year, when the elders and the spiritual leaders came to Jerusalem for a meeting, a very important meeting about if somebody that's a Gentile, if they're going to become a Christian, do they have to first become a Jew and then a Christian? Or can they go from being a Gentile, a heathen, and, and go directly and become a Christian? There were actually some in the early church that said, oh no, they have to first become Jews, keep the Jewish law, and then they could become Christians. And Paul's like, time out. And the rest of the apostles are like, no, no, no. And they sought the Lord and they made a decision that they didn't have to do that, and it was the right decision, and it says this in Acts 15. They came to this important decision that said, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. In other words, His Spirit bore witness with our spirit that this decision was the right decision. Sometimes you don't have a clear prophetic word or an angel or a vision or a dream. You have a subjective impression. But then there are other times that God can clearly tell you what His will is by way of a prophet speaking on the Lord's behalf. This doesn't happen all the time. It's a rare occasion. But in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 21, there's this guy named Agabus. He was a legitimate prophet. And yes, prophets do exist today. Not the crazy, cross-eyed, goofy, scary, kooky people that sometimes call themselves prophets, but legitimate men and women who have a prophetic gift and can speak prophetically as God chooses, as God wills, not all the time, to give divine direction. Those moments can happen. In Acts 20, 21, the prophet Agabus said, the Holy Spirit testifies. On another occasion, he said, thus says the Holy Spirit. So there were moments and times in the early church when New Testament prophets clearly spoke a prophetic word, and the church knew the direction that they would are, were supposed to take. Now, wouldn't that be great in life if you had your own personal prophet walking around with you? And every time you needed to make a major decision in your life, you asked the prophet, what should I do? Thus saith the Lord, the Lord says thus, that, and the other. You'd be like, man, life would be so much simpler. Life would be so much easier, right? Who would need God then? Hello? And the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. So no, God's not going to always give you a clear-cut prophetic word when you need to make important decisions. You need to pray. You need to wait on Him. You need to ask God for wisdom. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you guidance. He'll give you strong impressions. Uh, sometimes He might speak to you through a sermon, through a song, through a friend, through a parent, through a mentor, through a spiritual leader. We have to weigh out whether this is God or not. And that's why I love Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understandings, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will what? Direct your steps. Why will he direct your steps? Because one of my favorite verses is Psalm 37, 23, and it says this, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. You've got to believe the steps of a good man, the steps of a good woman are ordered, divinely ordered of the Lord. But not only, listen, 
Not only are the steps of a good man or a good woman ordered of the Lord, the stops of a good man or a good woman are also ordered of the Lord. Thank God for the times that God blocks our way and keeps us from getting off course to the, for the plan and destiny of God for our lives. So we don't know exactly how this forbidding, foreboding moment occurred, but it happened, and they were obedient to that. So sometimes God uses negative guidance. You're like, wow, what's, what's negative guidance? Well, sometimes you know what God's will isn't because of a door that has been shut and a door that has remained shut. Look at Isaiah 22, 22. I will give him the key to the house of David, the highest position in the royal court. When he opens doors, no one will be able to close them. And when he closes doors, no one will be able to open them. Sometimes in our life, God has closed a door, and it's the Lord. He has supernaturally, divinely closed a door in your life because there's another door that's about to open. And the hardest thing is between the, the door that's shut and the door that's open is to trust Him, to wait on Him, to not get ahead of God, to not become impatient, to not get offended at God. Or, or, or blame or falsely accuse God or blame God or anything like that. A door has been shut. And when God shuts a door, supernaturally, no man can open that door. But then on the other hand, when God supernaturally opens up a door, no man can shut that door. When God opens doors for you, my friend, they are effectual doors that God has opened that Paul mentions effectual doors had been opened for him and he was able by God's grace to walk through those effectual doors when God opens a door no boss no parent no rival no competitor no country no judge no person no devil can shut that door because God opens and no one can close sometimes you're praying about a job and you applied you didn't get it and then you applied for another you didn't get it as long as, as long as your heart's right with God, there's no unconfessed sin. You're seeking God with all of your heart, for the Scripture says, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all of your heart, that's a promise. As long as, Matthew 6, you're seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, not seeking first your kingdom and, and what's best for you, but you're seeking first God's kingdom and His righteousness, Jesus promised all these things will be added unto you. So if you're sold out to God, you want His will above, above and beyond all else, and there's no unconfessed sin in your life, and you're, you're doing your due diligence. Faith without works is dead. You're doing your due diligence. And if one door after the other door keeps getting slammed in your face, don't give up. Be persistent. Persevere. Eventually, the right door is going to open, and that will be the door God wants you to walk through. But in the meantime, keep your spirits high. Amen. And know that God is for you and not against you. Sometimes you're applying for a school, and maybe this school, one school turns you down, but God was, his unseen hand was behind that because he actually wanted you in another school, in another city, in another place. And so sometimes God guides us by doors closing, doors opening, and that's why we have to be sensitive to what doors are opening by the Lord and what doors have been shut by the Lord. Those of you that are single, when it comes to marriage, you're going to knock on a door, and she may say, 
not interested. You may knock on another door and she may say, not interested. And you can get really discouraged and really desperate. But know that God knows what's best for you. Eventually, you're going to knock on a door and there's going to be a beautiful smiling face on the other side that says, come on in. You're going to say, thank you, Jesus. You shut the doors that need to be shut and you open the ones that need to be opened. Because there's only one door that needs to be opened when it comes to marriage. There's that one that you will marry and then live happily ever after. Why not? Come on, let's, let's do it. Let's live happily ever after with the help of Jesus. Amen. You have to trust Father knows best. Your heavenly Father knows what's best. Think about the forbidding of the Holy Spirit. Think about when God says no. Has God ever said no to you? Raise your hand in your walk with Jesus. I think we all, that's a divine Holy Ghost no. We, we love those no's. There's a power. There's the power of no. Think of that. Learning how to say yes to no is what leads to greater success. Learning how to say yes to the no's in life is what's going to lead you to greater success. Pause. What are you saying yes to in your life right now that you should be saying no to? Or what are you saying no to in your life right now that you should be saying yes to? The power of no. You know our founding fathers, they were so wise. Uh, they understood that in order to protect the freedom that they had just now fought for, bled for, died for, the hard-earned victory during the Revolutionary War, which our country defeated the most powerful military nation the world had ever known or seen at that time. A bunch of ragtag farmers and country boys got together and, and made history. They understood in order to protect this newly found freedom that had been won, that they had to commit to certain no's. They had to preserve it, and so they wrote an elegantly beautiful document that was based on negatives. Eight of the ten in the Bill of Rights, uh, the original one said, Congress shall make no law. The right of the people to bear arms shall not be infringed. No soldier shall be quartered. The right of the people is to be secure, shall not be violated. No person shall be held to answer. No fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise examined. No, 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 no. The yes to freedom had to be preserved and protected by saying no to the right things. Where did they learn that from? They learned that from the, the, the best of all time, God. You know that God gave us his 10 commandments, and those 10 commandments are basically 10 no's? Look at them. First commandment, no other gods. That should actually be a small g. Okay. No other gods, no graven images. Number three, no using my name in vain. Number four, no skipping the Sabbath. Number five, no dishonoring of parents. Number six, no murder. Oh, got to take off the G. There we go. Number seven, no adultery. Number six, no stealing. Number nine, no lying. And number 10, no coveting, no lusting. These are God's 10 no's. Because if you have already said yes to God's best in your life, if you've already said yes to the harvest of blessing in your future, if you've already said yes to the will of God and the promotions of God and the glory and power of Christ residing upon your life, if you've already said yes to that, you're going to have to protect that yes walking in freedom with Jesus by saying no to the 10 things that God said you and I need to say no to. These are the blessed no's. They were to live by. In our, individual, in our individual lives, we must protect those important yeses 
by our resolute no's. Think of the people that have made history, not by saying yes, but by first of all saying nope, nope. I think of Rosa Parks, right? <laughs> she was told, go to the back of the bus. What did she say? No, <laughs> no. And that led to the important yeses that needed to be said in our country. You look at people in the Bible like Joseph, you know, Potiphar's wife tempting him and to lie with her, lie with her. And he said, no, 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 no. And he said, how can I commit this great wickedness and sin against God? He went to jail for that no, but that led him to the ultimate yes of God in his life. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how they said no to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. All the people in history, all the people in the Bible that made history because of saying no. Listen, write this down. If you can't say no, you'll lose control. If you can't say no, you'll lose control. Say that with me. If you can't say no, you'll lose control of your life. You don't want to lose control of your life, do you? So you have to learn to say no to drugs. You have to learn to say no to alcohol. You have to learn to say no to gambling. I had a woman came up to me last night. She said, Pastor, all gambling sin? I said, well, I, I, don't, I can't go that far. I'd like to, but there's no verse in the Bible that says thou, but I will say this, gambling can lead to sin. Oh, don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good in West Texas right now. (laughs) She said, I I went to Vegas and I won $1,400. I said, did you tithe? And it's blessed. Amen. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I said, well, here's the problem. Some people can walk to a gambling hall and, you know, they don't build those beautiful buildings because they're giving money away, Right? It's, they make it off all those losers out there. You know what I'm talking about? So most people can't, can't do something just once or twice. They can't go in there like with a $100 limit or a $500 limit, but best on you know, how blessed you are or whatever, and then just stop there. Oh, no, no. It's like they got to go because like, that's human nature. Like We're compulsive, obsessive, compulsive in our behavior. So sometimes it's better to say no to drugs completely illegal drugs. Uh, no to alcohol, you know. Well, how about a little wine? Well, if you can say no to the third glass or fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth glass, you know, and I think everybody in their 20s and 30s should say no. As your spiritual father, I say in your 20s and 30s, you should say no. You shouldn't start saying yes until you're a little older and mature, but anyway, that's just my own conviction. You don't have to listen to me. What am, who am I? What do I know? I'm just 56 years old and walking with Jesus for 40 years, but yeah, what do I know? I'm, I'm a dummy. <laughs> you got to learn to say no. 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 Now, those are our favorite sins that churches like to preach on. We got to say no to that extra slice of pie. Oh, now I'm getting personal. Because <laughs> the Bible says gluttony is as bad as a sin, if not worse than drunkenness. Oh, but pastor, don't preach on food. We love our food as Christians. I know. I need to preach on gluttony. Say no to gluttony. Amen. I'll take those few amens. <laughs> See, but these are, these are our non-favorite sins. Gossip. Say no to gossip. Amen. Say no to discord and sowing strife and talking behind the preacher's back. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so if you can't say no, you'll lose control of your life. So what are you saying yes to that you should be saying no to? What are you saying no to that you should be saying yes to? So there are some blessed no's in the Bible. Let me give you a few. Abraham came to God one day and he said, oh God, please, please let Ishmael be the son of promise. And what did God tell him? No. <laughs> Isaac would be the son of promise. Moses, Moses is a great guy, right? Yeah, one of the greatest guys that's ever lived, one of the greatest men of God ever lived, right? Uh, Moses obeys God, he's in the backside of the desert, he's in the, he's in the wilderness for 40 years, and, and one time he makes one mistake, right? One mistake. He strikes the rock instead of speaking to the rock, and then water came out. The first time God said strike the rock, and 
water came out and the people were, their lives were saved, the livestock was saved. The next time God said, speak to the rock, but Moses got so frustrated with the people, instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock and he didn't honor God in front of the people, but God still honored Moses in front of the people and allowed water to come out of that rock. But God told Moses later, one-on-one, he said, because of that, you won't enter the promised land. Joshua's going to take my people in the promised land. And you can read this for yourself in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses like 23, 24, 25, 26. Moses brought it up to God again. He said, would you please reconsider and allow me to take the, the people, your people, into the promised land? And God said, say it with me, no. And then he went and he said, he followed up with this. God, you can read it for yourself. He followed up with this. And don't you bring it up again. I mean, no, when God says, don't you bring, you better listen to him. <laughs> Unless you want a, a one-way ticket to heaven, right? You want to die early. David, King David. One day David's sitting in his house. The big throne, the beautiful throne of Israel, the most powerful man in the world at that time, right? King David. And this guy was such a man of God, most of the time, such a man of God, he had this thought. He goes, I'm in this beautiful house, and God doesn't have a house. He has like a tent. I want to build God a house. God was so impressed, so impressed. The prophet, he tells the prophet, goes, David, no one has ever thought of this. I've never asked anyone to do this. An angel's never uttered this. No one's ever thought this but you. Out of the goodness, kindness of your heart, you said you wanted to build me a house. Because of that, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to build your house, David, and your house will endure forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. He said, awesome. Will you let me build that house? And God said, say it with me, no. <laughs> but your son Solomon will. Sometimes there are blessed no's in our life because Father knows what's best for, for you, but ultimately for the kingdom of God. One day, Elijah got so burnt out in life, so burnt out in ministry, he said, God, please take my life. And what did God say? No. <laughs> Jonah. Jonah got so angry with God, he wanted to die. He asked God to let him die. And what did God say? No. And he taught him a lesson in compassion. There's this demoniac of Gadara in Mark chapter 5. He had like 2,000 plus demons in him. And Jesus miraculously set this man free. And the Bible says he was delivered, he was healed, he was in his right mind, clothed, and in his right mind, and he looks to Jesus and he says, let me go with you wherever you go. Let me follow you. Let me become one of your apostles, basically. And what did Jesus say? No. He said, but rather go back to, the, to, the, to, to Decapolis, which were 10 cities. Go back to the Decapolis and share all the good things the Lord has done for you. When God says no to something, it's because he's saying yes to something better for you and for the advancement of his kingdom. Amen. One day, James and John, these two brothers, right? Apostles James and John, they come to Jesus one day in John chapter 10, and they said, Master, we have a request for you. And I love how Jesus responded, because he always wants to grant your request, if it's according to his will. He says, what is it? They said, when you come into your kingdom, how selfish. When you come into your kingdom, my brother and I, one wants to sit on your left and the other on your right. And what did Jesus say? No. <laughs> he said, you know, can you drink of the cup I'm about to drink of? And they said, yeah, we can. He's like, no, you can't. And uh, he taught him a real important spiritual lesson there. Don't promote yourself. The apostle Paul was struggling with a thorn in his flesh. I don't believe it was sickness and disease, but he had a messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him. And three times he sought the Lord to deliver him. And each time God said no by basically saying, my grace is sufficient for you. Even the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying, great drops of blood fall from his brows. He's praying, he's sweating blood. He said, if it's possible, let this cup pass before me. And he knew in his heart the Father's answer would be no. And so Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's one of the most important prayers any of us could pray. 
And we should always, that should always be our prayer. Not my will, but your will be done. First prayed out of the mouth of God's blessed Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's just thank the Lord Jesus for a moment right now. We love the Lord Jesus. You know, in me saying yes to the will of God in my life, I had to say no to things that were good, but they weren't God. Shortly after I got saved, I wanted to be in the military. I even negotiated with God. I went, I went down to the recruiting office. I was one signature away. I don't know why the recruiter said, now go home and sleep on this. But I've told this story before, but I did. I didn't have a vision from heaven. I did have a dream. Jesus did appear to me in my dream the night that I got saved. And in that dream, he spoke to me what my life calling was. So I knew clearly what my life calling was to do what I'm doing now. But I, I, I wanted to be in the military, and I negotiated with God. I go, God, I'll give the military four years, and then you'll have me the rest of my life. I'll still be a young man. He said, no. <laughs> I just knew in my heart. He, he said, no. Sometimes, there you go. <laughs> Sounded like the Lord again. <laughs> and so uh, sometimes, you know, those of you that are single, when it comes to getting married, I remember when I was you know, the Bible says, he that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So if you're a single guy and you're not married, you have to look for a wife. So I was, I was looking, and I was looking at my former church, and I would look, and I would say, how about her? And the Lord said, no. I said, how about her? And the Lord said, no. How about her? And the Lord said, no. And then Gloria showed up, and he said, finally, I got a yes. So sometimes you got to go through some shut doors until you find the open door, and God knows what's best, and he wants what's best for you, and he wants what's best not just for you, because it's not about this all about me stuff. It's not all about you. It's all about him. It's all about others. It's all about the advancement of the gospel and the kingdom of God. And then it becomes about you. And you and I are simply a thread woven into the fabric of God's will and God's ultimate plan for creation. So we must be thankful for the part that we play. And we must always pray, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Not my timing, but your timing. Not what I want, but what you want. Woo, I'm doing some good preaching today, church. I don't know. Man, must have been something I ate last night. I don't know. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so Paul's massive no to Asia, forbidden, led to the Macedonian call. Now let me give you some scriptures to meditate on. First of all, Psalm 106, verse 15. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. Sometimes you can, you can bug God enough. He'll give you what you want, but it's not his will. Do you have a scripture for that, Pastor Carl? Yeah. The children of Israel prayed for a king. It wasn't God's ultimate will for them to have a king, but he permitted them to have a king. And then they had all kinds of trouble as a result of that. It wasn't, they were in the wilderness and they were sick of manna. We're tired of manna. We want meat. We want meat. And God finally sent them their request, but sent leanness in their soul. He says, you want meat? Because they were moaning, groaning, complaining. Nothing wrong with meat, but the way they were asking for it, demanding it, God said, I'll give you meat. I'll give you so much meat. You're not going to know what to do with that meat. It's going to be coming out of your nose and out of your ears. And God baptized them in meat. But be careful. It can come at a cost. The next verse, Matthew 5, 37, Jesus said, let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Anything beyond that is evil. There are times to say yes and just say yes. There are times to say no and just say no. James 4, 3 the Bible says uh, in James chapter 4, it says, you have not because you ask not, and when you ask, you receive not because you ask amiss that you might gratify upon your own lust. This translation says, yet even when you do pray, your prayers are not answered. Why? Because you pray just for selfish reasons. Sometimes God won't answer our prayers, or God is saying no, because that prayer requ request is being driven selfishly. The next verse, 
Psalm 66, 18, let's read this out loud together. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. That's why it's so important not to have any unconfessed sin in your life. Don't, now, we all struggle with sin. We all have weaknesses and things that we deal with on a regular basis, but make sure there's no unconfessed, as our Catholic friends call mortal sins, like the big ones, you know what I mean? Like, like the Ten Commandments sins stuff, okay? And because if you have unconfessed sin, matter of fact, it even says if a husband, listen, I just felt impressed with the Lord to say this, but Peter, in his, his letter, he said, husbands, if you're not giving your wife due benevolence, love, your prayers will be hindered. So we have to just make sure there's no sin in our life. The next verse, 2 Corinthians 1.20, let's read it out loud together. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. When it comes to God's specific promises, does he want me saved? Yes. Does he want me healed? Yes. Does he want me delivered? Yes. There's no guesswork in that. The timing may be something, but there is no guesswork. You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt there's a clear promise in Scripture related to your situation or circumstance. You can be assured God wants, God's answer is yes. The timing may not be our timing, but God's timing is yes. And then one more verse, uh, 1 John 5, 14, 15. Let's read it out loud. Now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we've asked of him because we're praying according to his will, according to his plan, according to his promises, and there is no guesswork. We have confidence. This is what God wants for my life, and I'm going to have faith and believe for it to come to pass. Let's thank him for all of his glorious promises. And all of them in Jesus are yes and amen. All right, so in closing, God said no to Asia because he was saying yes to something better at that moment in time. And that is the great Macedonian call. Once again, verses 9 and 10, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia to help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, I love this, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. That's what men and women of God do. When they have a clear direction from God, they don't hesitate. When the door is open and the will of God is made known, they act in humility. They act obediently, and they do it immediately. Oh, family, it just worked out this way. I, I can't I wish I could take credit for it, but next week is Mother's Day, and I thought, okay, I'm going to have to have a special Mother's Day message, but I don't because the next section of Scripture we're going to study in Acts 16 is about an amazing woman by the name of Lydia. God sends a vision to Paul at night, and it happens to be a man. And when he sets sail to go to Macedonia, the first convert the first person that he preaches to is not a man, it's a woman. And she represents the gospel of Jesus Christ going west, ultimately towards Europe, 
farther west towards North America. We are hearing the gospel being preached today in West Texas because 2,000 years ago, Paul and his team obeyed the Macedonian call and went to this place of Macedonia, and there was a woman named Lydia, the first convert that represents the gospel going westward to the four corners, ultimately, of the earth. Come on, when, you, when God says no to one thing, it's because there's a bigger yes. He's saying he wants for your life. I had, a, I had a, like a prophetic word and impression last night. I said, some of you may be at a fork in the road and you're wondering, what's the next decision? What am I to say yes to? I've heard a no in my life. And I, and I shared that and prayed for the people. And a woman came up afterwards after service and said, I just applied for something. I just got declined. And I was, I was basically crushed. But the whole message, my daughter was elbowing me saying, Mom, this message is for you. She said, I have such clarity and peace now that I know when one door is shut, it's because another one is about to open. And I believe that word is for some of you in here today also. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you for this message. We thank you that we're asking the Holy Spirit to speak clearly in our hearts today. What is the Lord saying to me? What are you wanting me to do? And how, are you, how do you want me to apply this message in my life? And most importantly, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today, those of you watching live streaming, and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, or you need to rededicate your life to Christ, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. The rest of the church is going to pray that prayer along with you. But if you'll say this prayer with your own mouth, mean it from your own heart, whether you need to get saved and surrender your life to Christ once and for all, or rededicate your life to Him, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer, and the greatest of all miracles will occur in your life. Here we go. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. I receive his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, you're now my father, and I am your child. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit and give me strength to live for you and serve you all the days of my life, beginning today for the rest of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we thank the Lord together, church family?